Well, if you have a Bible, would you open it to not the book of Romans, but the book of Ephesians. We are going to take a one-week break from our series in the book of Romans in order to celebrate together uh, what God has done in giving us the church. The title of today's message is The Beautiful Importance of Jesus' Church, and we will be in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, looking at verses 18 through 22, but we'll be looking at Ephesians 2 and 3 and just kind of looking around there. Um, As you're turning there to the book of Ephesians, we wanted this Sunday still not knowing when our official last day will be, still waiting to be told. It'll be October 31st, November 7th, and November 14th, but we wanted to carve out a Sunday where we're able to... Uh, worship together and to just focus on the grace of God and thank Him for all that He has done here at this church and how we trust Him to carry us into the future, how we trust Him for new beginnings. And so the overall aim for today is why, uh, why we need the church, why the church is an essential part of our lives as followers of Jesus In our most recent family meetings and in getting connected classes, I share pretty regularly about how God gave us this space here at 554 East Hargett Street. And in looking back at that story, I see it in such a way that the fertile soil out of which that story arose was a soil of surrender because We were in nine locations in the first four years of our church, and then we were in the IMAX theater for four years, and we had been looking, therefore, for eight years that God would provide us a space, and every time we thought we would get something, it was, not now, not now. And it was only when, in my heart, I felt that there was this sense of, okay, God, and even if we need to rent forever, we just want to follow you. We want to be committed to this mission of trumpeting the glory of Jesus in this community, especially among the vulnerable. And so, it's out of that where God leads us as a church to pray It's when I make that phone call one day in 2014 to a realtor who says, it's really strange that you call. It looks like this building will lose the contract tomorrow, and if it happens, would you like to be on the list? And I said, sure, not knowing exactly what I was saying sure to, knew I didn't sign anything, so felt pretty safe, and it was like, okay, sure, and sure enough, we were able to purchase this building, and what we were able to see was the sacrifice of God's people in generosity, but even more than that, the sacrifice of God's people over these seven years to continue to stay on the mission of God. And then we've seen God bless. We were able to sell this building for four times more than we paid for it. These things are a gift from God. But I share that for this reason. God cares more about our hearts being wholly His than He does about anything else. Not a building, not a transition, not our jobs, not our bank accounts. He cares more about our hearts being surrendered wholly to his than anything else. So that's what today is about. 
It's a prayer. Oh God, make our hearts wholly yours as your church. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 18 through 22, and it goes like this. For through him, that is Jesus, we both have access. The both there are Jews and Gentiles. All people have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that many in this room have had their lives collide with you, the living God, and they can say we're imperfect, we're messy, but we have been created in your image. We, we trust you. We love you. We want to follow you. We want to do what you say for us to do, and you're powerful enough to change lives, and I thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit, that you dwell within us, and God, we just ask that you would use us all and use us together as your church to make much of your name. Father, please, may we leave here today with more of a love for Jesus and loving his plan Loving his people, loving those in our city and to the ends of the earth. Would you increase our love? We need you so much. Thank you for being committed to your people. And we pray that you would change us now on the spot. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, in our first four years, we had nine locations. Um, and so we were literally a lot of different places, felt like everywhere. We were at NC State, um, and we kind of outgrew our first spot, and we had to go to Tally Student Center after that. Then we ended up having to relocate. We did nursery out of our homes and ended up uh, meeting at John P. Top Green Community Center, and then we met at Chavis Community Center in a really hot summer there. I remember we had we met at 115 and a half East Hargett Street. I didn't even know addresses had halves, but 115 and a half East Hargett Street. I remember a semi pulling up because we bought the chairs that you're sitting in, and we had a team unloading those chairs, backing up the city bus system. It was just a train wreck, but it was good. It was wonderful, and we loaded them up three flights of stairs, trying to put them where we needed them, but one of my favorite stories is when we met at what is now Beasley's Chicken and Honey. Beasley's Chicken and Honey and Chuck's and Fox's Liquor all used to be one big building owned by David Beasley, the bail bondsman in downtown. David Beasley became our landlord because we met there. We met in this space before it became all these wonderful places. Now, when you would walk in, there was very little to say was kind of aesthetically wonderful about this place. It was really run down um, and really run down, if I could say it again. It was really run down, and I say it again. And so you walk in, and this owner, David Beasley, was committed to creating a Caribbean restaurant. 
And so there were, there were many times when you would walk in and you would see little signs of a Caribbean restaurant. Um, over the bathrooms, you would see like a thatched roof coming out because he was making a Caribbean theme. He created like a little bar area and it, it too was kind of thatched and tiki torch kind of like. And so, you know, it was pretty amazing. I remember one time we walk in and literally the ceiling is missing and the back like quarter of the building, you just see the sky. And I was thankful it wasn't raining. That was really good. And so... This place was um, a sight to behold. You know, you know how we transitioned out of that place was because showed up one day to watch a cycling event in downtown and looked on the front door and there was a blue piece of paper on the front door and it said, condemned building. And I was like, oh, thanks. The city has just told us what we've known for quite a while. This is a, this is a wreck. So, but while we were in this space, David Beasley comes to collect his rent with his pit bull. And so we're having prayer time. Up in the front, David Beasley comes up with his pit bull to collect the rent. And so we had our rent check, and we give it to him. I start talking to David, and, and so next thing I know, his dog is missing. And so his dog goes to the stage and takes a dump on the stage. I know that might be a little crass. Sorry. He used the bathroom on the stage. And so while he used the bathroom on the stage, then I had to go and get like paper plates and scoop them up and throw them into, you know, and then you stand there and you preach. You go for it, right? That's what you do. Our kids' nursery was in the basement where some homeless individuals would sleep, and we invited them to church. I remember one time I said, hey, you know, we got kids that are coming into this space down here. And uh, they were like, no, you don't. And I said, yes, we do. We want you to join us, but they're coming. And they're like, I ain't moving. And I'm like, they're coming. And then he said, I ain't moving. And sure enough, 30 kids show up down in that basement and they left. But I wish they would have joined us, but they left. So anyway, these are some unique stories at the early days of TCC. And I just ask you, why? (laughs) Why go through that? We could have had a better building if we were in a different part of town. Why? The interesting thing was whether people were young or old, married or single, rich or poor, from the country or from the city, there was a unique commitment. A unique commitment to one another, a unique flexibility, because we were all committed to love Christ in this specific way where we wanted to bring him to bear upon the vulnerable, diverse lives of our community. We were saying to one another, you're worth it. We were saying, you are worth the sacrifice. You are worth money and time and endurance and inconvenience. You are worth forgiving. You are worth it. And we were saying to our neighbors out in the city, you were worth it. Saying to each other, saying to the city, you are worth it. We were so convinced also of this thing, that we needed a Bible-loving, gospel-preaching, Christ-treasuring, one-another-investing, vulnerable-caring, nations-reaching church in this city. We were committed to it. So we kept going. Since this has just come out, 2020, 1.1 million people in Wake County alone Not the city, the county. If you look at the metro area, much higher than that. Every day, over 60 people are moving into Wake County. That's another 250,000 people over the next 10 years. Now more than ever, does your neighbor need the gospel of Jesus? 
Now more than ever does our city need a continuing, faithful, Christ-treasuring, one-another-loving people committed to carry out his mission of love and gospel proclamation. Now more than ever. In your neighborhood and community, you probably know many people who do not know Jesus. And in Southeast Raleigh, where we're getting ready to relocate, over 30,000 residents call that place home, more than Garner or Nightdale or Holly Springs or Fuquay, not to mention the neighbors that just with a short drive, hundreds of thousands of people that could come and worship with us. Friends, we don't believe we're the Savior. No way. We're just one little small church committed to a really big Savior. We're committed to Him, and we just want to be another light that shines in darkness. Another light that shines in darkness. We are carriers of hope to the lost world. The gospel is God's plan to change lives, and His church is His only plan to carry out His mission of disciple-making and love to lost people to the ends of the earth. So today, this one-week break dives us into Ephesians chapter 2 to look at these three questions, or two questions and a prayer. What or who is the church? Why the church is beautiful. And the prayer is, God, help us be who we are. Help us be the church. What is the church? Why is the church beautiful? Oh, God, please help us be who we are. What is the church? In a very unorthodox way to begin a sermon that's anchored in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 3. So, if you'll look at Ephesians chapter 3, Verses 8 through 10, I want to read these words to us. Paul says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, and he says that because of his background of literally imprisoning and killing Christians, and then his life totally changed and he becomes, you know, one of the foundational apostles to promote Christianity. He says, I'm the very least of all the saints because of my wreck of a background. He says, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Say those words with me. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that, so that, Through the church, can we say those three words together? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I've been reading a a book by my friend Chip Bugner. He wrote a little book on the book of Ephesians, and he uses this illustration, and I found it so helpful. The illustration is this. It was time for the great reveal. The great reveal in the summer of 2010 was this. Those of you who don't know basketball, this is a basketball player, LeBron James. Huge decision was before him. He was a free agent. He was going to be leaving Cleveland. Where was he going to go? Weeks and weeks of anticipation led to a big day of decision-making. Flashing lights, you can just imagine all of this sense of one of the biggest stars in basketball history was getting ready to make a decision where he would land. And so LeBron James 
makes the great reveal, the big announcement. He's going to the Miami Heat to join Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade to play with them rather than his beloved Cleveland Cavaliers. They were called the big three. The announcement was like there was a dynasty that was beginning. But here's what happened. The anticipation and the love for LeBron James flipped on its head because when he made the announcement, people basically thought, you're really arrogant. You guys are talking like you're totally going to win it all right now, and you haven't done it yet. Like the ring's not on your finger, but you're talking about that. And overnight, he goes from a hero to a villain. Now, all the other teams, they were scrambling. Because this team was all of a sudden on the scene with three large players and it was like, okay, they were scrambling what to do. But the big reveal was that he was going to the Miami Heat. Now there's another huge reveal in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. It's a big one. Here's the question. How is God going to change the world? How is God going to deal with broken, messy, hurting people? What's his plan to bring unity in the midst of disunity? What's his plan to do something so unique that its display to the world causes people to scramble around and ask questions? What is going on? The big reveal? (laughs) The big reveal happens to be the church. And you might say, really? That's the big announcement. The big announcement is the church is your plan. Talk about drawing some criticism. Criticism not because of its might and strength, but because of its weakness, right? The church... Chip says this, the church seems to be an unimpressive way to announce that a dynasty has begun. And yet, Ephesians 3 tells us that, does it not? Ephesians 3, verses 8 to 10, that I just read to you, says Paul was given grace to preach a message to Gentiles And what was that message filled with? You said the words, the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's like a well that has no bottom. The unsearchable riches of Christ is what this message is. And you're just proclaiming Jesus. And as Jesus is proclaimed, Jews and Gentiles, their lives are changed and flips upside down. And it brings to light to everyone what God's plan is. It's to save individuals to be a part of a something together called the church. Isn't that what that passage says? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom, the word is multifaceted like a diamond. Why does he use that language? Because you have in the book of Ephesians, Jews and Gentiles hating on each other. Imagine that. Maybe you can't identify with ethnic tension. Yes, you can. (laughs) This has been our world. Ethnic tension fights over religion and over ethnicity and over cultural distinctives. And he says that the gospel 
is so powerful, it changes individuals' lives and creates one community that displays together the multifaceted wisdom of God. The wisdom of God that shows His glory as diversity relates in harmony. The church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now here's what else is interesting. As the church is on display, it is preaching a message, two messages, one with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and it changes individuals' lives, but our living out faithful lives to God actually preaches a message to spiritual beings as well. Angels and demons are hearing a message that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's doing it all through the church. It's God's plan. (laughs) might feel unimpressive. It's God's plan. Yeah, you and me, broken, messy, yet made in his image, worthy, with dignity, empowered by his spirit. This is who we are. Is she really unimpressive? Is the church really unimpressive? Or maybe is the church beautiful? And we just need spiritual eyes to see it. I think the church is beautiful. The church is beautiful as God's plan A to communicate his glory, his multifaceted wisdom, the unsearchable riches of Christ to the world. Now, let's look. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, because we, our first question is, what is the church? The church is God's plan to display the unsearchable riches of Christ to the world, to display his multifaceted wisdom to the world and to even spiritual beings in the heavenly places. That's his plan. What is the church? It's people, Jews and Gentiles. Now, the on-ramp to verses 18 through 22, look at verse 18 with me of chapter 2 of Ephesians. It says this, for through Jesus we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Why does he say that? Because Ephesians chapter 2 talks about Jews and Gentiles who are at war, different religious systems, and now through Jesus dying, it says he himself is our peace. He has taken taken warring, warring factions and made them together as what the Bible says, one new person. There's one new person called the church, made up of all different ethnicities and genders, men, women, all ethnicities, all we have is one church, one new person. And so he says in verse 18, for through Jesus, we both have access into one spirit. And then he goes on to say this, so then. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at the verse 19 again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. These are technical terms for a non-citizen of a country. It's someone who was an outcast. Not included in the broader group, a stranger, on the outside looking in. 
It says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you together, Jews and Gentiles, all peoples who trust in Jesus are, what does it say, fellow citizens with the saints. I looked up on uh, the website what U.S. citizenship means and all the different rights and responsibilities that comes with U.S. citizenship. And as I was reading through, there was one thing that struck me. One benefit of being a citizen in the United States is this. The title was, you get to keep your residency. And here's what it says. A U.S. citizen has the right to, the U.S. citizen's right to remain in the United States cannot be taken away. And this is exactly what he is communicating. You're no longer aliens and strangers. You're no longer on the outside looking in. You're a citizen. And that right cannot be taken from you. What's the right? It's more than being in a country. It's as the Bible says here, look at it, verse 19. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the what? Household of God. He just shifted from citizen of a country to being included in the family. And this begins the journey of us seeing what is beautiful about the church. Who is the church? What is the church? The church is God's plan to display to the world the unsearchable riches of Christ and the multifaceted wisdom of God. Who is the church? It's a multi-ethnic people changed by Jesus. Together. Family. One new person because Jesus is our king. What makes the church beautiful? The Bible says we are all part of the same family. Here's something that we say regularly at the church. The church is not like family. The church is family. The church is not like family. The church is family. This is what Jesus means when he speaks in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, when he says this. Okay, now while he was still speaking to the people, it said, Behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, kind of like this, he said, Here are my mother and and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What's his point? If we have the same Father, we're family. God as our Father makes us family. It's not like a family. He's saying there's something so unique that you can't see with your eyes that God has done in our hearts. It unites us together as one new person called the family of God. We are members, as it says here in Ephesians chapter 2, of his household. We are part of the family of God. God's family. God is our father. We together, all part of the same family. 
And that right is kind of like U.S. citizenship. It can't be taken away. You're a part of it. What does family mean? Why is that important? Because family is meant to speak to us. You are not on the outside. You are included. You are accepted. You are loved. You are not rejected. You are fought for. You have a father who will not orphan you. He loves you. You are his. And it is meant to communicate something about how we treat each other. I love you even when you hurt me. And we forgive one another. And we endure. And I've seen so much of that happen in the church. People being hurt and still loving people. Enduring steadfast love. Dear friends, I know the church might seem really unimpressive. I'm just telling you, Jesus says that what is happening here is remarkable. People changed, made in his image, brought together, family of God, united together because we have the same father, and we're going to do to each other like God does to us. We're going to fight for each other. We're going to endure with each other. You could do whole sermons on each one of these things, so I'm not going to do that. But the point of family is this. The people of God are to be characterized by steadfast love, enduring love as family. We are family. It's not like a family. The Bible says spiritually we're family. And we've got to press into that image. Jackie Hill Perry said this when talking about the hurt that she experienced from the church. And some of you have experienced that. Some of you have experienced that here. And I just want to say I'm sorry. Here's what I do know. Humans hurt humans. It's what it means to be human. It hurts. We're imperfect. We're broken. But we don't want that. We want to protect each other. We want to fight for each other. We want to care for each other. Jackie Hill Perry said after church hurt, she said this, what healed me from church hurt was the church. There's not another plan, friends. The plan when you have been hurt by somebody is not to run away from the church, to press into the church. We are members of the same household. Because you know what the devil wants us to think? Is that all that happens in the church is hurt. And that's not true. You know what happens in the church? I see people loving each other like family. I see people sacrificing week in and week out to provide for the needs of those who are hurting. I see people who are risking their lives and laying down their comforts in order to serve their neighbor with the love of Jesus. I see community groups gathering together when they don't have a ton in common, let's be real, and they're loving each other like crazy. The devil wants us to believe 
that drama is all that's accompanying with the church. And Jesus says what is accompanying the church is family. Now, last I checked, family includes drama. Mine does, because I'm in it, right? Includes drama. It's hard. He's not saying it's not hard. He's just saying it's worth it. It's worth it. We're going to love each other. So look at Ephesians chapter 2 because there's something else beautiful about the church. He says that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. We're family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Probably there speaking to foundational prophets and apostles, the word going forth. But the image here is that Jesus is the cornerstone. So now he shifted imagery from family to a building. And when you lay a foundation, that's what helps things stay upright foundation is built upon the word of God, the apostles and those early day New Testament prophets bringing the word of God to the people of God, but it was always founded upon, it hinged upon the cornerstone, which is Jesus. The only way you become a part of the family is through Jesus. Now, he says this, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together, so now Jesus is building a building. But the people are the building, not this. The people are the building, and he's building a building with people. See, you can't see this. You can't see this. It's not like I'm going to try to stand on your shoulders after this is over to see how tall we can get. That's that's not how this works. He's doing something spiritually. He's building a building. In whom the whole structure being joined together starts growing. Now this building is alive. And it starts growing together, joining together into a holy temple in the Lord. So what are we? We're a family, yes, but we're also the temple of the living God. The temple of the living God. What I think we need to get from this, why is the church beautiful? Because we're family, but also because we're the temple of the living God. That we're a house of prayer for all peoples, God with us, God dwelling with us. That's what it means to be the temple. It is a house of prayer. It's a people of prayer of all peoples, God with us and in us. And so he applies it individually and together. You might have heard this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, the church? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So may we not destroy one another, but may we be who God has made us to be. A people indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You know what the Old Testament temple was, right? The Old Testament temple was the place where the glory of God resided. It was a place of holiness, but it was a place of his presence. And that's why Jesus, when he walks into the temple and he sees that they're like selling all kinds of stuff, he turns over tables and he says, my house is meant to be called a house of prayer for all peoples, but you've made it a den of robbers and thieves. He's passionate that his people are about connecting with him. House of prayer for all peoples. And our bodies, we are that temple. We are that temple. 
the house of prayer for all people. And we are not waiting as a church for God to give us a building to then call home. Because we're not designed to be attached to bricks and mortar. We are the people. The work of the church is not on pause because we're moving out of this space. I actually talked to one pastor of a very large church here in our city. Talked to him the other day, and I was in his building. It was really nice. And he said, I said, yeah, how long have you been in this building? He said, a few years. And I said, it's really nice. He said, yeah, but I miss the days when we were meeting in a school. I said, why? He said, because once we got in a building, people felt like they arrived. It was like all of a sudden the spiritual intensity began to back off. And I was just like, oh God, may we never back off your mission. May we never relax in our love for each other and our love for our city. And so maybe we should look at what is coming as an opportunity to be who God has made us to be. The people of God indwelt by the Spirit of God so that we can show off the holiness and glory of God to people all around here who don't know God. They don't know Jesus. They don't know His love, His manifold wisdom, and His unsearchable riches. It is an invitation, friends, for us to be the church, to display through our lives the glories of Christ. I don't know if you've ever read this book. Something needs to change. We actually, it's actually not something, it's something. <laughs> something needs to change. But we read this together as a church a couple Christmases ago or so, and it's about, it's basically, it's like a mission trip in a book. It's uh, by author David Platt, and he shares about his trek through the Himalayan mountains and about all the horrible suffering that he saw on that journey, but he also tells a brief little snapshot, a brief little snapshot of people's lives who had been changed by the gospel as he walked through the Himalayan mountains and how they gathered one night for church. I wanted to read it. Here's the story. It says, The only church that exists in these villages is meeting right here tonight where they stopped and had camp. And it looks like we're going to be able to worship with them. And this guy said to David Platt, Would you mind encouraging them with a message from the Word? David said, I'd love to. Great. For now, go ahead and put your backpack down, rest for a bit, and then come out. David Platt falls asleep. Rather than preparing, because he's exhausted, after a two-hour trek up the mountain, they wake him up, and he says, get up, it's dinner time. And so they gather, they eat some food, and then it's pitch black outside. And the host says, look out there. Do you see those lights? And he says, yeah, I see them. He says, those are church members. Remember that grueling hike you climbed today to get up here? That's the hike they're making to get to church. Humbled, I see these tiny lights in the distance slowing, slowly making their way up the trail. I think about the stress people in our culture sometimes have over a 15-minute or longer drive to church. 
How about a two-hour hike up a narrow mountainside in the freezing cold, followed by a two-hour hike back down the same mountainside in the pitch-black darkness after the service is so much different? The church meets in a house about a five-minute walk from where we're staying. This definitely is a house church. Picture an area in a home in the U.S. about the size of a bedroom and possibly a small living room. There's a bed in the corner. Again, envisioned a raised wooden platform with a thin mat on top of it. A couple of shelves against the wall and a small cooking area in the corner. One single light bulb hangs suspended in the middle of the room. When we arrive, the owner of the house greets us with a warm smile. That's the greeting committee. She motions for us to sit in seats of honor, either on, the right, on, either on or right next to the bed. Soon others arrived and were shocked to see who has climbed the mountain to come to church. It's not just the young and the healthy. Every age is present, from babies to grandparents. One by one they start to cram in, and cram is the right word. By that time everyone arrives, I could find a, count about 50 people sitting on the floor on the bed or on top of each other. And they will sit in the most uncomfortable positions with smiles on their faces for the next two hours. And they will sing and they will clap and they will pray and they will listen intently as I share the scripture. He says, do I have anything to share? Humbled by this moment. And then he says, nevertheless, trusting that God's word is sufficient to encourage them, I open up Nehemiah 8 and 2 Timothy 4, and I exhort them to hold fast to God's word even when it's hard to do. So they nod their heads as this individual translates, and he hopes they're encouraged. It's not until I finished, however, that I'm most encouraged. He says, after our time in God's word, they begin to share the needs with one another. One older woman in the corner of the room mentions a physical challenge she is facing, and a woman on the other side of the room offers to help take care of her. A young man tells of someone he recently shared the gospel with who is now persecuting him, threatening to harm his family. In response, an older man shares how this same thing happened to him, prompting a pastor to encourage them both based upon a common experience with persecution. That leads to a couple who tells about how they shared the gospel with another family and how that family believed in Jesus and now they're thinking about starting a new church in that family's home in a nearby village. And as I watch what is happening in the room, these conversations between brothers and sisters in the family of God, it hits me. This is it. This is what these villages and the people in in the villages need most absolutely they need the gospel without question but they also need community they need a kind of community that treks for two hours not just to worship with one another but to care for and encourage one another the kind of community that takes responsibility for one another's physical needs they need brothers and sisters as we read in mark 10 provide for one another as family and love one another as themselves In other words, these villages and the people in them need the church. The church as God designed it to be. A people fearlessly holding on to God's word while selflessly sacrificing to share and show God's love amid the need around them. This kind of church can change the world. I share that very long story for this very simple point. We have an opportunity an opportunity to be the church. And it's not dictated by a building. It's not dictated by a location. It's dictated by a heart. 
a people who say, Jesus, you're worth it. I believe I'm a part of a family. We're a body together, and we're committed to speaking the good news to our neighbors, where we're going to be located, so that people can know the love of Christ. We are the temple of God, and he is, as the scripture says, he is building us together, joining us together, indwelling us with his spirit so that we can be who God has made us to be. That's what the passage is saying here. In whom the whole structure, verse 21, being joined together, grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Temple is holiness and communion with God. That's where this foundation begins. We must commune with the living God, be a house of prayer for all peoples. And it's out of that that we begin to grow together. In verse 22, in him you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What is unique about the church? It's where God dwells. It's where God dwells. And not only are we meant to be the family and a temple, but we are called the body of Christ. The body of Christ. That's what makes the church beautiful, is that we are the body. Look at chapter 3, and as it goes on, look at verse 6. Ephesians 3, 6 says this, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of what? The same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery of mysteries is that Jews and Gentiles are Fellow citizens, same country. Fellow family members, they're all the temple. We are all the temple of God because God dwells within us. We are one body. Many members, one body. 1 Corinthians, 2, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can read it one day. But it's a beautiful picture of what this one body means. Many members, one body. And one thing that you read when you read through this list is that no one is throwaway Everyone is gifted. We honor everyone so that we are all built up in love. No one is throwaway. Everyone is gifted. We honor everyone so that we are all built up in love. This is what it means to be a part of a body. Everyone has value. Who is to say, this is what Paul says, is the eye to say to the ear, I don't need you? You know, it's like, no, this is not how you talk. Instead, you honor one another. And especially those who might feel the least of these, pour out double honor. We honor those because we are all needed. All needed. The body grows together so that we together as one can be the place where the people of God are encouraged and loved. Now, here's what's interesting about the body image. The body imagery in the scriptures communicates then that we are also one but different. Do you get that? Right? Like hand different than head, right? I mean, pretty intuitive. Okay, different. Okay, so our culture tells us different means cancel. Just take the body imagery, how crazy that is, okay? I don't like what you're doing, hand, wham! You know, like, how stupid this is. 
But this is what happens in the church. We cancel what doesn't seem to fit our agenda. We sometimes we only look for what fits our needs, what looks like us or what agrees with us. Rather than being the family of God of multiple different ethnicities, preferences, backgrounds, desires. I remember growing up. I grew up in the church. And when I went to church, the people that I was in youth group with, they were different than me. I was different than them. It was not necessarily the place where I always had my best friends. But it was the place where I believe I learned how to love people different than me. Because we were committed, this is our church, it's what you do. You love each other. Sometimes I'm afraid we're a little more buffet-style Christians, where we don't do the hard work of loving people who are different than us, and so we just search for what we like. And we go down the buffet, and we get what we like, and that's what we fill our plate with. And so if this church doesn't have it, I'll go over here. If this church doesn't have it, I'll go over here. That's not the image of the Bible. The image of the Bible is an assumption that we're going to be a multi-ethnic, that means all kinds of differences, and Jesus is going to hold us together as family, indwelling us by his spirit, and we're going to be the body. And rather than hating on the fact that we're different, we're going to love that because we know that somehow, even though it's hard for our brains to see, we fit together. And he's putting us together knitting us together to be the spiritual house that God has made us to be. The church is beautiful. It might seem unimpressive, but it's beautiful. And just to underscore it, not to be exhaustive, there's one more image. The church is the bride. Have you ever read that? Isaiah chapter 54. Listen to this. Don't be afraid. Fear not. You will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. You will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth. How many of us have shame from our youth? Even youth, you probably have shame from your youth. And you'll forget the reproach of those hardest seasons. When you feel totally alone, here widowhood, one of the most vulnerable positions in that day. You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no war. Why? Because your maker is your husband. God is your husband. You are married to him. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth. Is married to you. Now, Revelation chapter 19 says this, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. The end of all things is this marriage supper. It is this picture of being married to Jesus. Who is the bride? It's Jesus. No, it's us. It's a church. Married to Jesus. Sorry. Who is the bride? It's the church. Think about a wedding. It's an intentional image. The groom looks at the bride with love. 
affection. Saying you are worth sacrificing for. I love you. I find you precious and beautiful and adored and treasured. This is what God says about his people. Don't let your own internal dialogue say anything other than what Jesus says. You are his bride. And not just you as an individual. The messy, unimpressive church is his bride. And you know what gives us hope when we're messy and unimpressive? It's the fact that God dwells in us. He's not going to let us go. He's knitting us together. He's building us into something. This is the opportunity before us, friends. The prayer is, God, please help us be who we already are. That's where we end. God, please help us be who we already are. Help us be family. Because we've been accepted and not rejected. Help us to accept in Christ. We're the temple. Help us to reflect the holiness that we're supposed to reflect, the lives of obedience. But make us a people of prayer. A people of prayer of all peoples. Because we're family and we're the temple. And we're his body. We're going to be different. But God has gifted everyone in his church to use their gifts as a blessing to others. And all of our differences, rather than being something that's a blot, it's actually bringing us together as the body. And we are his bride, adored, loved, treasured, fought for. Friends, I pray we join together to say, God, make us who we already are. Make us who we already are by faith. Let's pray. Father, I need you, and I ask. I ask that the beauty of your church, as sometimes as our journeys have been so hard, as our journeys have been so difficult, and some of those journeys are still really difficult, I ask that we would believe that these are not just pie in the sky, high ideals, but that we would believe that your church is a good plan. And that although messy, it's beautiful. And it's beautiful not because of anything more then Jesus is in us, and he makes us beautiful. So, Father, I want you to get glory in our lives. I want you to be seen and loved and adored. And right now, I pray that you would meet with the people who are struggling and who are hurting to let them know that you will not let them go. I pray that we as a church will listen to each other. We will care for each other. I pray, Father... That we'll not give up on each other. We'll forgive each other. We'll hurt with each other. We'll have compassion and empathy towards each other. We'll weep with those who weep and we'll rejoice with those who rejoice. I 
pray that we as a people would be characterized by prayer, both in private and in public. Father, I just, I pray our trust is not in ourselves, but in you, your ability to make us more like your son. Please, Father, please, give us excitement for the days to come. Because you are with us, there is hope. May we be who you have made us to be. May we display your glory, your multifaceted wisdom. May we declare the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I thank you that right now you are in our midst. May we treasure you above all. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all.
Jesus be the center of your church. Jesus be the center of your church. With every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess you. City Barbecue. I would love for you to stay and eat it. So, and I'd love to eat it with you. So, um, let me give you just a few things here, and uh, then I will uh, pray for our food, and we'll be done. But yeah, you can keep playing. It's kind of cool. Let's just keep going. Okay, it's like the behind-the-scenes thing. Um, number one, if you parked on the side of the building here, will you please move your car so we can set up cornhole? Okay. Number two, if you have chairs and blankets, you can go and get them because although it is cloudy, we're going to do the fellowship outside. So um, about 1230, we think the food will be set up and ready for you. Okay. Um, we're going to have games, can jam, spike ball, cornhole. I'll be outside. We have football to throw around. So we would love to just hang out and, uh, yeah, I think that's it. So like I said, if you even did an RSVP, um, what's at the playground? Set up chairs at the playground? Okay. Heather says set up chairs at the playground. I'm thankful to God for Heather and for Lissa who have organized a lot of this. And I'm thankful. Yes, amen. That was a clap. You were this close to celebrate. Okay, feel free. Feel free. Friends, as we go. Christ loves you. Go and tell of his love. We are missionaries on a journey, and now we're family in Christ. So let's go love on each other, okay? Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this food that we're about to eat and all the hard work that has gotten us here. Thank you for those who are online that we love so dearly. 
but we are not able to see here physically, Lord. We just pray you'll bless them. I pray for those who have shown up that, God, we know how much you have done to sacrifice it all so that we might be a part of your family and be made new. So I just pray that we would be convinced as we go throughout this day that there won't be one thing we will face that we won't have the grace for. You will supply all we need as we walk from here. If anyone does not know Jesus, I pray that through the baptism or through what's been said, that they would surrender their lives to Christ. And so, Father, as we go, may we go sent with the good news of Jesus to our city and beyond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.